You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Happy Easter. We are so glad that you're here. So, a few years ago, I got a notice from my homeowners association. You know, those are the greatest things ever. And, uh, but they told me I had to get my, pre- my driveway pressure cleaned. And so one day I was driving home, I get into our development, and I see a truck, a pressure cleaning truck in front of this house, and then I see the guy pressure cleaning this driveway. So I stopped and I asked the guy how much he charges to pressure clean. And then the guy gives me this kind of weird look, and I'm like, look, uh, my driveway's about the size of this one, uh, and I need it pressure cleaned as well. How much do you charge? And then he didn't respond. And then I realized, dude, this guy doesn't speak English. So I'm like, oye, caballero, déme una pregunta. And so I went, I went full Cuban on him and uh, asked him about pressure cleaning. Still nothing. And then I realized, dude, he doesn't speak. How? I'm so rude. So then I went into a different mode and I said, I need you pressure clean. This is, the, my, this is me doing some butchering of sign language. And so the guy is just watching me. And the guy says, this is my driveway. I don't own a company. And I'm definitely not coming to your house to do yours. And so because I can't leave well enough alone, I just said, yeah, but what about your truck? And because there was a pressure cleaning truck in front of his house. And the guy says, that's his and while I was doing, I need you, while, I'm do, while I was doing that, the guy that actually owned the pressure cleaning truck had started pressure cleaning the next door neighbor's driveway. And just like, if you ever seen the movie The Sixth Sense? You know, at the end when Bruce Willis kind of figures out the whole thing, it was like that, ah, oh, in that moment. And I was like, oh, I, I and then I, I was like, okay, uh, I'm going to be leaving now. I don't live here. I don't live around here, by the way. So if you see a guy that looks like me, it's not me. And then I went, to my, I went home and I told my wife, hey, um, real quick, we have to move. And, and we did. So, but the, the, the reality is, and once again, the lesson is, and we know this to be the case, that what we say and what other people hear aren't always the same thing. And you, you've had that happen, especially if you have a difficult name where you try to tell someone your name and then they just... Uh, butcher it and then give it back to you. And you're like, no, that's not my name. I have the easiest name in the world. It's Bob. It's the same backwards and forwards. So it shouldn't be a problem. And sometimes people, and I can let most things go, but I don't know, I, I, I cannot let go when, peop, uh, when people just don't get my name right. It just makes me crazy. And so uh, one night I, I call uh, this restaurant because I'm going to pick up food uh, for dinner. And so, you know, you call and I say, hey, I want to place an order to pick up. Sure, what's your name? My name is Bob. Okay, Rob. And I'm like, no. It's Bob. Yep, got it, Rob. It's like, no! It's Bob. Now, listen, I don't even like the name Bob. But here we are. And I'm just, it's like, but it's still, you're going to have to say it right. Anyway, so the lady just will not get over Rob. And she's like, okay, Rob, 20 minutes, it'll be ready. So I get there. And apparently, this girl gets paid in how many times she says the customer's name. 
because it was, it, it was like, hi, I'm, I'm here to pick up an order. Are you Rob? It's Bob. Yeah, Rob. Uh, it's going to be a couple of minutes. Can I get you anything, Rob? Would you like something to drink, Rob? Maybe you'd like a soda, Rob. How about some water, Rob? Would you like some peanuts, Rob, while you wait, Rob? Maybe you have a seat, Rob. Anything I can get you, Rob? Rob, Rob, Rob. And it's just every time she says it, it's like nails on a chalkboard. And then as she's saying all this, a server walks by. And the server says, Pastor Bob, is that you? And I'm like, oh, hey, how you doing? And she says, Bob, why'd you say your name was Rob? <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. And, and I'm telling you, it, it, is, it is just, because sometimes what people say and what we hear are different things. And we do it. And I'm not saying only other people do it. We do it. Have you ever had this moment where you find out the real lyrics to the song? You've been singing it one way, and then for, you've been singing it this way for 20 years, then you find out what the real lyrics are. And then you're like, that doesn't even make sense. They need to change it to what I've been singing since 1984. And so, and that just, and that just happens. Why? Because, and this is the challenge that all of us face on a day like Easter. And that we, we all, we start, we're all looking at the same thing and having very different experiences with it. Because some of us, those of us that are Christians, we're experiencing, we look at Easter and, and we're having this moment where Jesus is risen. And Easter changes everything because Jesus is risen. And that means that anything is possible. That the things that we thought were dead don't have to stay dead. Dead relationships, a dead future, a dead marriage, a dead career, it doesn't matter. Easter can change that because Jesus is risen. Others of us don't believe. And Easter doesn't have a lot of value. And I know, and I, and I know there's got to be some folks here that you're not a believer. You, you, you're here because somebody you know, bribed you with lunch or some type of deluxe brunch if you come to church. And so you're just here paying the rent, basically. It's like, I'm enduring because I know once I get to the other end of this, there's chicken and waffles waiting for me, all right? And I respect that, all right? But, and then some of us are somewhere in the middle. And that is, we're not sure kind of where we are. The Jesus thing sounds pretty good, and, and the resurrection thing sounds great, and Easter sounds, but I'm not really sure where I'm at. And we're not really sure, even if we do believe it, what difference Easter makes anyway. And the good news is, if you're a believer, if you're an unbeliever, if you're a doubter, every group is part of the Easter story, because Easter really is for everyone. And once again, the thing that we do most years is we look at the lives of those who believe. We look at those who were at the tomb and those who were waiting and those who were uh, waiting for God to do something and, and waiting for the resurrection. And listen, this year, I want to mix things up. And I want to instead talk about someone who didn't believe. It's someone that most of us have heard of. And even if you're not a Christian and you've never heard of him, you've, you've heard this guy reference because he has the most unfortunate nickname ever, Doubting Thomas. And, be, and you might say Doubting Thomas is not a bad nickname. If you're going to be a leader in a new spiritual movement, your nickname about being a doubter, not good. It's like you're starting a gym. Like, hey, well, you're going to start a gym? Cool. What's your name? Oh, they call me Chubby Mike. It's like not a good nickname, all right? And so Doubting Thomas for a spiritual leader, not a good nickname. And so, but what, what the, the question is, and here's the thing, I, I think Thomas gets a little bit of a bad rap because he just had questions. And there's nothing wrong with having questions. There's nothing even wrong with having, uh, having doubts that you want to deal with. What we've got to make sure is that we don't let the questions or the doubts become a barrier that keeps us from God. Now, I'll tell you what is a better thing to do, and that is this. 
And that is instead of believing your doubts and doubting your beliefs, a much better way to live is to believe your beliefs and doubt your doubts. And so, but if you're a doubter today, listen, Thomas is your patron saint. And he's going to have an experience with Jesus that all of us can have if we're open to it. So we're going to start in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 20. And now, let me just tell you what has happened, all right? Jesus has just appeared to the disciples on Easter Sunday. And they are overjoyed. The problem is Thomas wasn't there. Then Thomas is going to show up. And he's not going to be happy. Well, look at what happens. This is this in verse 24. Now, Thomas, called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. And so he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, the question that I want to answer is, what do we do with doubts? Well, it's three things that we want to do, and here's the first one, and that is, number one, decide what your questions are. Now, I think we can all appreciate Thomas's situation, is that he leaves for a little bit. Jesus shows up while he was out. That's got to be the most frustrating thing in the world. He's thinking, I go out and pick up 11 lattes for my friends, and then I get back and I miss out on all the good stuff. And I don't know if you've had that moment where you step out for a minute and then something amazing happens while you were gone. Uh, a few years ago, my wife and I, uh, we're at Disney Springs, and we were meeting a bunch of friends uh, for dinner. And my wife's like, hey, can you go over to this uh, store with me? So I walk over to the store with her, and then we get to the restaurant, and one of my friends comes out and says, you literally uh, missed Barry Bonds by about three minutes. And now, some of you, because of the silence, I can tell there are not a lot of baseball fans in the house, so let me explain who Barry Bonds is. Barry Bonds is the all-time home run leader. And this, by the way, was before all the, the steroid scandal and all that. He was just the greatest hitter. Uh, and, and so, and I missed him. And you know what my response was for having missed Barry Bonds by three minutes? I was like, you didn't see Barry Bonds. That was just my, like, no, you didn't miss him, because I didn't want to believe that I missed out on something. I had another uh, time that we were flying to... Um, a few of us were flying from uh, Miami to Atlanta, and I was helping a friend get his bag out. And you know how, when you, if, especially if you fly with a group of people, there's always that one friend that packs entirely too, many uh, too much for a two-day trip. And it's like you packed your clothes and your entire rock collection uh, because apparently this bag weighs 500 pounds. Well, anyway, so I'm helping him with his bag so we can get through security. And a couple of friends I was flying with, they're like, dude, you just miss LL Cool J. And now if you don't know who LL Cool J is, number one, you were not into early 80s rap. And number two, that means we can't be friends. So I don't understand how you don't know who LL Cool J is. And I said, uh, did he have a radio with him? And they, they said, well, no. And I said, well, he can't live without his radio. And so, and if you don't know what that is, then um, I am just sharing how old I am, basically. But you know what I said when they said, just mail LL Cool I was like, you didn't see LL Cool J. I just, that was just, definitely didn't happen. I have, a, uh, I have a friend that used to live in New York City, and he is a huge country music fan. Country music is, for the most part, not really my thing. And, um, but he's, he, for years, trying to get me into country music, it's all he listens to. And, um, and I just, that's not my deal. If you like country music, that's fine. I just don't have to sing about loss that much, right? It's like, I lost my woman, I lost my truck, my dog, my job. And so, like, I don't need that kind of negativity. Like, I need stuff coming into my life, not stuff leaving, all right? So anyway, so, um, 
So he lives in this big high rise in New York City. And so every morning, because he and his wife, they had this little dog. So every morning he has to get up and then he has to walk, he has to take his dog on the elevator, go downstairs to the ground floor, and then walk out, and then walk his dog and all that, and then take him back up. Well, every morning he goes into the elevator, and there's this, uh, and he says there's this really pretty girl that's there in the morning too. She has a little dog, and then they chit-chat a little bit in the elevator. They get down to the ground floor. They walk out. They walk the dog for a little bit, and then um, he goes back up. Well, one day, my friend's wife goes with him. They get to the elevator, the pretty girl is there, they say hi, chit chat, whatever, go downstairs, go one direction, they go in the other, walk in the dog, and so my friend and his wife get back on the elevator, and um, my, my friend's wife says, hey, is that the girl that you see every morning? That's the pretty girl you see every morning? He says, yeah. And he says, honey, that's Beyonce. And, uh, and he says, wow, for real? He says, by the way, who's Beyonce? And uh, so I was telling my family this story a while back, and my son thought that was hilarious. Like, Dad, that is hilarious. By the way, who is Beyonce? And uh, now he can name every member of Van Halen, but he has no idea who, uh, who Beyonce is. And uh, I was explaining, I'm like, Beyonce was the lead singer of Destiny's Child, and then she went solo and became Destiny's grandchild. So that's how that works. And so now, but then I hear that, and I'm like, like, I didn't think you met Barry Bonds, and I didn't think you met LL Cool J, but then I heard that, I'm like, yeah, I think he met Beyonce. And so, and here's the issue, right? All of his friends, all of Thomas's friends saw Jesus. They had this amazing experience. The disciples, remember, um, and if you're not aware, they were locked doors, windows barred. They are just trying to stay away from the outside world because they had crucified the Romans in league with the, with the, the Jewish leaders, had crucified their their rabbi, their teacher, and they're thinking, they crucified him. We're next. So they are trying to lay low so that nothing happens, and they are scared, confused, and worried. Thomas comes back from doing whatever, and now somehow they're filled with peace. They've got joy, and they've got hope and wonder again. And see, there's something amazing. When Jesus showed up without Thomas there, look at what it says in uh, John 20. It says this, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now, just a little note. And uh, you know how sometimes, and, and by the way, sometimes people say, oh, the Bible's exaggerating. Let me tell you something. Most of the time, the Bible is underselling what happened just because of translation. When it says they were glad, think about the stuff that you're glad about, right? Your trash bags, you're glad, right? And it's like, but it, there's just, Glad is like this kind of whatever word. I'm so glad you made the honor roll. Can I put that sticker on my car as if it were my achievement? I don't know why parents feel the need. It wasn't your achievement. It was your child's achievement. But you raised them, so apparently somehow that um, rubs off on you. But it's like, wow, you got your teeth cleaned? I'm so glad. No cavities? I'm so glad. That when, when the Bible says that word glad in the original language, it is, I mean, this, it's literally, it's talking about cheering. It's like, you know, you go to a wedding, and this is like, um, and not, not the weddings that you just are forced to go to, and you know, there's some of those. Like, like I gotta go, why? Because you know, there's, we're kind of related, well, are you related or not? Well, kind of, they, they're my uncle, they're really your uncle. Well, they, my, friend, my parents were friends in Cuba, and so that's how that kind of works. And so, but then, but this is, but you know how you go to a wedding, and it's people that you really love and care about, and then you get to the end, and there is just 
right? There, there, there's laughing and there's crying and you're just excited and you're clapping and you're cheering. This is what that word glad means. He, Thomas, when he left, his friends, they were mourning and crying over loss. And he shows back up and now they're laughing and rejoicing and they're filled with peace. And Thomas decides that he's not going to believe, but it's not just because he wants to have the same experience. Like they said, he, Jesus showed him, showed them the scars, showed them that where his side was pierced. He says, no, I want more. I don't want the experience you had. I want something more. I'm not going to believe unless I can stick my finger where the scars were and I can stick my hand in his side. And listen, here's, here's the, the real challenge. Sometimes we can have doubts. That's fine. We can say we aren't going to accept Christianity at face value unless we investigate because we want to see if there's reasonable evidence for the resurrection. Nothing wrong with that. Investigating the claims of Christianity is one of the most important endeavors that you can engage in. And by the way, just an FYI, uh, everybody who does really investigate this, and it doesn't matter if they're a person of faith, it doesn't matter if they're an atheist, all these people end up becoming Christians. And then they end up writing books about it because the evidence is just so overwhelming. But the danger becomes this, is saying we want to investigate, but never actually doing it, and it just becomes some kind of cop-out to keep us from making some kind of decision. Now, here's an important thing that, that we need to know. Whether, this is whether you're a Christian or not. And that is that the storyline of the New Testament is confirmed by 10 ancient non-Christian sources. That is, historians who were living at that time, they were all writing about what was happening in the Roman Empire during the time of the first century. And all of these people that were writing were writing, confirming everything that we read in the New Testament. And so things like that Jesus lived at the time of Tiberius Caesar, that he lived a virtuous life, that he was a wonder, a worker of wonders, that he had a brother named James, that he was acclaimed to be the Messiah, that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, that an eclipse and an earthquake happened uh, when Jesus died that he was crucified on the eve of the Passover, that his disciples believed that he rose from the dead, that, that the disciples were willing to die because they believed that he rose from the dead, that Christianity spread rapidly as far as Rome, and that the, the disciples of Jesus denied the Roman gods and worshiped Jesus as God. All of that is verified without even using the Bible. And why is that important? Because the people that want to be skeptical will say, well, I'll believe, but there's this kind of random verse in Leviticus. Have you ever read Leviticus? No, but I read about this on uh, Twitter. And, um, and it's important for me. I need to know that. The reality is this. And here's what, this is why uh, people want to bring this into question. Listen, Christianity not only existed, but thrived for almost 400 years before the Bible as we know it. That is the Old and New Testament in, put into one book. Why? Because the validity of Christianity is really based on one event, the resurrection. That is the linchpin of Christianity. If the resurrection happened, then Christianity is true. If the resurrection didn't happen, then everything else can be true, but Christianity isn't true because everything is linked to the resurrection. And what drove Christianity around the world was the reality of the resurrection of Jesus, that those who saw it never stopped talking about it. And here's my point. If you have questions, write them down and search for answers. And there's this wonderful promise that we have. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, here's what God tells the people. He says, um, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. When you decide that you really want to know God and you're going to seek him, trust me, you're going to find him. Or better yet, he'll find you. 
Well, it goes on. Look what happens. Verse 26, it says, Now after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. If you pause there, give me your attention. So what do we do with doubts? Number one, decide what your questions are. Number two, open yourself up to new possibilities. Now, a few years ago, we went out for dinner. And the restaurant that we had gone to, my wife and I and my three kids, and it was a couch on one side and then chairs on the other. And so the kids wanted to sit on the side with the couches. And so the kids were a bit younger. Uh, my kids are now 15, 12, and 10. And at this time, Mia was about seven, Xander was four, and Livy was one, one and a half. And so my wife and I sat on the chairs, and then the kids sat on the couches. So we order our food, the drinks came, and I noticed that Xander had been chewing the whole time. And I'm like, buddy, what are you chewing? He says, oh, I'm chewing bubblegum. And I said, where did you get bubblegum? He says, oh, I stuck my hand in the couch, and I found some bubblegum there, and then he started chewing it. And, and that was right around the moment that my wife started screaming. Um, and, and, and there's, and by the way, listen, if you don't have kids and you want to have kids someday, let me just give you a little piece of advice. Um, you have to teach your kids everything. Nothing comes preloaded. <laughs> Nothing. You've got to teach them everything. I had to have a conversation with my, a conversation I never thought I'd have to have about ABC gum. Now, for those of you that just got here from Cuba and you don't know what ABC gum is, let me explain that. ABC gum means already been chewed. That you just stay away from, like, see, a few of you didn't know what that was. So I'm glad we, I'm glad we talked about that. Um, this one, anyway. Uh, but this is an important thing, right? Now, the question is, how do we know that story happened? Why? Because there's five eyewitnesses that can tell you what took place. Thomas had 10 eyewitnesses telling him to the fact that this happened. And here's the thing that's important for us to understand. And the, those people that saw it wrote down the things that they saw. The New Testament documents are the most verified documents in history. Peter, who was one of Jesus' disciples, says this. He says, For we do not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter is writing from an eyewitness perspective. He's saying what we believe isn't because it's some fable. It happened because we saw it. And this is the thing that separates Christianity from every other worldview and every other faith. And that is that we have eyewitness testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. Now, the New Testament writers who had seen Jesus crucified and saw Jesus resurrected wrote it down so that we too could believe. And Jesus is going to talk to Thomas about that in just a moment. But in the book of 1 Corinthians, which is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote just a few years after the resurrection, look at what it says. He says, I passed on to you what was most important and what has been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. And last of all, as though I had born, been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. As I mentioned, the crux of the Christian faith is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, even the most ardent skeptics of Christianity date this book of 1 Corinthians to just a few years after the resurrection, about 50, 52 AD, meaning that most of the people who had seen the resurrection were still alive. 
That's why skeptics don't, don't dispute the resurrection. What they'll say is, they'll say, well, yeah, the resurrection, but there was just a mass hallucination. That's what happened. That's the best that skeptics have, is that there was a mass hallucination. The problem is, is that mass hallucinations don't happen. Hallucinations happen to individuals, but not to masses of people all seeing the same thing. Now, but you could say, well, the resurrection is a miracle. Maybe I want my miracle to be a mass hallucination. Well, okay, but there's a different problem, and that is that Jesus didn't just appear at one time. He appeared to the women at the tomb. He appeared to these men on the road to Emmaus. He appears to his disciples. He appears to 500 people at once, and all of them are seeing Jesus resurrected, but in different circumstances, so it just becomes less likely that the mass hallucination theory works and becomes way more likely that Jesus actually did rise from the dead. And here's the other thing, is that the people that he appeared to never recanted that Jesus was alive. Even when they were beaten, even when they were tortured, even when they saw the people that they loved put to death, even when they were put to death, they never recanted. But you know what the biggest one for me is? All of that is very interesting. The biggest one for me is that his brothers believed after the resurrection. If you aren't aware, Joseph and Mary had kids after Jesus was born, and those brothers were not very enthusiastic about Jesus's messianic claims. In fact, they thought he was kind of nuts and were a bit antagonistic. And, that, and you see this a few different times, but let me, give you, uh, let me give you one. This is from the Gospel of Mark. This is early in Jesus' ministry. It says, one time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again and soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. And when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. Now listen, let me ask you this. How many of you have a brother? You have a, a brother. Okay, some of you are still trying to figure out if you do or not. Do I? Do I? Okay, very good. This is a safe place. It's all, it's all good. Now, what would it take for your brother, for you to believe that your brother is the son of God? Now, maybe tomorrow your brother calls you up and like, hey, man, I need to have breakfast. Can we get together? Sure. And then you meet him at the shop, and you're going to have a bagel. He buys you coffee and he's like hey man thank you for coming i just i have some important news to share sure what's going on i, I don't really know how to say this but i'm the son of god <laughs> she'd be like you're a moron is what you are right that's what you'd say and that and listen it would take a little more than just a bagel to convince you right now a few years ago I, I have an older brother my older brother actually led my wife and i to jesus when we were teenagers. And um, my brother uh, lived in Boston until just recently, but he was at a men's conference in New Hampshire. And uh, he gets to the men's conference. They give him a lanyard with his name on it. And so he, he walks in to where this event is taking place. And someone walks up to him and says, Billy Franquist, are you related to Pastor Bob Franquist, the, the author? And my brother says, yeah, that's my, that's my younger brother. And the guy starts going on. This is my brother telling me the story. The guy starts going on and on which doesn't mean he went on and on. It just means that he's like, but he just went on and on about how he's read my books and he listens to the Calvary podcast and that he's, I do these events for pastors and church leaders and he's been to one of our events and I've just totally blessed his life and, and he's like, okay, yeah, great. And uh, so then my brother walks away and um, another guy walks up to him and says, Frank, was any relation to Bob Frank was the pastor in Florida? And he's like, yeah. That's my younger brother. And he's like, oh man, your brother's books have been such a blessing to me. And, and the guy keeps talking and my brother's like, and I just walked away mid-sentence. Like I just didn't even want to deal with it. Third guy. 
walks up. And he says, Frank was any relation? He's like, yes, he's my brother. I grew up with him, and he's not that awesome. <laughs> Haters going to hate. <laughs> so, now, so listen. But after the resurrection, his brothers who said he was nuts all believed because the evidence was incontrovertible that they had seen him alive after he died. You see, this idea that skeptics have that the idea of the resurrection developed over the course of 150 years later, no. It was embraced immediately because the eyewitnesses who saw it were still alive and kept talking about it, and that's why Christianity spread like wildfire. Well, Jesus says, peace be with you, and look what happens. In verse 27, he says, Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. If you pause there and give me your attention. Last thing. If I have doubts, I've got to decide what the questions are. I've got to be open to new possibilities. But here's the last thing, is we've got to step into a new future. Here's the question that I want us to consider. What difference does it make? Let's say the resurrection did happen. I mean, does, that, does it impact your life? Does it really change what tomorrow is going to look like? Uh, when we first started our church almost 22 years ago, we met at this little hotel. That's where we started our church. And I was having a conversation with a girl that worked at the front desk, and she had gone to church on Easter with her family, at, not at our place, but at some, somewhere else. And I asked her the next week, and I'm like, how you doing? Oh, I went to Easter with my family. And I said, how was it? She goes, oh, I went, but it, you know, it was kind of the same message. You know, he died for you, but you know, like, what does that mean? What does that mean the day after Easter? Does it mean anything? Or is this just something we keep saying? And I've never forgotten that question. And, and the fact is, is that if we're talking about, we're celebrating Easter, how does that impact how we live tomorrow? I mean, I get it. If we believe it, then there's eternity waiting for us and heaven and all that. I get that. But how does that impact how we live tomorrow? Well, the last couple minutes that we have, I want to I talk about that. I want to take you to this passage in, in the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. Here's what Paul writes. He says, I also pray that you will understand, this is what he wants us to understand, the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. All right, here's what it is. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. What is he saying? Here's the thing you got to understand. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in your life right now. Now, how is that, and where do we see it? So I'm going to show you three things real quick and how the resurrection can impact your life and change your life and change how you live your life even today. The first, number one, is this, is that the resurrection gives us a pattern of love. It gives us a pattern of love. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. No more. So uh, we think of love as <laughs> we think of love as an emotion, right? Love is a feeling you feel when you feel a feeling you've never felt before, right? And you're like, what did that guy just say? You'll get it later. And so, but here's the challenge, especially for couples, and that is defining love beyond an emotion or beyond the initial feeling that we got maybe when we were first dating. And listen, that feeling fades, and that's a good thing. When my wife and I uh, started dating, I remember first date, we went to the movies on our first date, and I, I was nervous just to hold her hand 
The first time we went to a restaurant, I had butterflies in my stomach and I couldn't even eat. And you're thinking like, well, you seem to have gotten over that quite well. <laughs> Too well, some might say. But guess what? Listen, but could you imagine if those feelings never went away? I spend, an, I spend a day here at the office and then I come home for dinner and then I'd sit down to have dinner with my family and be like, I can't eat. I'm sorry, I got these butterflies. It'd be terrible, right? But sometimes what happens is that we define love based on kind of the new car smell of the relationship and just like the new car smell, it fades and then we think that it's something less when really love should be something more. It's not the same thing. What happens is, is that the, the, the newness of the relationship, that feeling might fade, but it's replaced with something much deeper. And because the resurrection of Jesus is teaching us something, that love is not defined by what we get, it's defined by what we give. That love is defined by sacrifice. In that same book of Ephesians that we talked about, Paul would talk to husbands, and here, here's what he says. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, that he who loves his wife loves himself. He says, love your wife. And he, but notice what he doesn't say, like, you just love her any way you want. No, he says, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That the definition of what that love looks like is sacrifice. The problem is when we don't view love like that, we view love as something we get rather than something that we give. And I can assure you of this, a selfish love can and will fail us. But a selfless love, a love that the resurrection is teaching us, that's the kind of love that the Bible says does not fail. If the resurrection is giving us a pattern of love, the second thing that it's doing, and this is what's going to impact your life today and tomorrow, the resurrection gives us the power to forgive. Listen, you and I know this, that forgiveness is not a natural emotion. Somebody hurts you deeply. The first thing you think is, wow, I can't wait to forgive them. No. You're, you're thinking, um, how do I do something that makes them feel the way I feel right now? So our natural inclination is revenge. And what happens is, is that when, but when you become, when you're on the receiving end of forgiveness, somehow the wires get switched and now you have the capacity to forgive because you have been the object of forgiveness. That's what the resurrection teaches us. Notice uh, in the book of Colossians, Paul says this. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgiveness happens because Jesus died on a cross and rose again, showing us that he had the power to forgive and now giving us the ability to forgive. Listen, no relationship can work without forgiveness. A few years ago, um, a friend of mine, and my, uh, he was a pastor here forever, and uh, then he left a couple years ago to go plant a church on the other coast of Florida. Uh, his name's John, great guy, and um, he lent his car, John lent his car to a friend um, who attends church here, and um, the guy brought it back, but the guy scratched the car while he had borrowed it. Well, John forgave the guy and wouldn't, didn't make him fix it, and for whatever reason, I got so upset that now I felt like this was my problem, even though I'm not involved in this situation at all, but I decided to interject myself, and I'm like, what? You decided to forgive him? What's wrong with you? <laughs> now, I'm in kind of the forgiveness business, if you will, and I'm so upset, and I said, you know, this is totally irresponsible. 
You should make them fix it because this is how people learn to take responsibility. This is the problem with society. And now I'm talking about societal sin, right? And so I'm going to this whole thing about why he needs to fix it. It's good for him. He needs to do it. You're teaching. And so he's going to this whole thing. And John is just, he's just waiting for me to stop barking. And uh, okay. And he's like, can I say something? Sure. He says, okay, you know so-and-so? Yeah. This other guy that comes to church here. Well, I borrowed his truck recently because I needed to move some stuff. And I accidentally dented his truck. And when I gave him his truck back, he forgave me and didn't make me pay for it. So when this guy scratched my car, I just felt like I should forgive him because I was forgiven of the same thing, you know, because Jesus. Uh-huh. Right? This was a test. You passed. Now I have to leave. And I just started running. I was like Forrest Gump. I just ran until I had no more energy. And so, but listen, once again, because we've been forgiven, we have the capacity and the ability to forgive. That love creates this environment of trust where we believe the best and we push away suspicion. That doesn't mean we don't deal with issues that come up, but it does mean that we aren't going to live in the past. That's why there's this wonderful definition for love in 1 Corinthians. It says this, love keeps no record of wrongs. Why, why does the Bible ask this of us? Because it's impossible to build trust and believe the best and move into the future if we spend our entire lives keeping score. And you know what God's best for you is? Is that you don't keep score, but you have this wonderful vision for the future. And that's why the Bible tells us that love covers a multitude of sins. And then last thing, and then we're done, is that the resurrection gives us a promise of hope. It's Peter that says it this way, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, the disciples looked at the cross and they thought that hope died there. And little did they realize that that was the place that hope was beginning. And is it possible that maybe the difficulty that you're experiencing isn't the end, but it's actually the beginning of hope? And maybe that's what brought you here today. Maybe you thought, man, where my marriage is, this, we're going down a road we don't come back from. And yet, that's simply gonna be the beginning of your redemption story. And what if what God wants to do to transform your life because Jesus rose from the dead and we decide to follow him, we make that decision and that becomes the decision that changes everything. And so we have a choice that we can live like Thomas before he saw Jesus and miss out on the joy, the peace, the gladness, the hope that comes from the resurrection and knowing what we know. Or we can see the way Thomas saw when he sees Jesus and he doesn't, he doesn't say, oh, I want to see the hand. Jesus shows him and he's like, no, my Lord and my God. And that was the day that changed everything. And this can be the day that changes everything for you. That listen, the resurrection of Jesus can be the thing that changes your past regrets, that changes your future hopes and changes your current circumstance, that it can change your marriage, your family, your relationships. It can take the pain and guilt from the past and convert it into hope and life in the future. 
Because God really does want to set you free from the things that are holding you back, from the things that are holding you down, that Jesus really wants to start changing your life right now. So I'm invite all of us to stand, if you would, as we close. And if we say, yeah, I want Jesus to change my life, then what it takes is for us to be open, to open our hearts to him and say, yeah, this, I, I, do, I do want him to do that. And I know there's some of us that might say, well, you know what? Uh, I'm not really into God. Well, too late, because he's into you. And listen, Jesus rose from the dead so that your life could be forgiven and changed, so that your life could be transformed. And so maybe, like Jesus rose, maybe it's your time to rise to rise above the guilt that we feel, to rise above the failures that we've experienced, to rise above the pain that we have, to rise above our past, to rise above our fear, to even rise above our doubts. It's time to rise from who we used to be and enter into the life that God has for us because what he wants to do is take your life and transform it. And that begins with forgiveness, but it doesn't end there. It begins with him setting your feet, your life on a new path and transforming you. And so listen, maybe this Easter is kind of like Thomas's Easter. It's kind of what happened a week later when Thomas sees Jesus. He has this encounter with Jesus and his life was never the same. And here's what I know. And, and we could have, you could be a believer or a non-believer or a doubter or wherever you are in that mix. But here's what I know about every single one of us is we want life to be different. We want life to get better. We don't want to keep carrying around all the things that we regret and all the things that we missed out on and all the things that we wanted to do. But here's what I know to be the case is that Jesus can change everything and that this can be the moment. This can be the Easter when you have this moment with God and everything in your life begins to change. And you can circle it on the calendar and say, this was the day that everything started to change. And so if you say, that's me, that's me, I feel like I've been buried by everything that's happened in my life thus far, then maybe it's your time to rise as well. And so in a minute, the band is going to begin to sing, and here's what I'm going to invite you to do. I'm going to invite you to meet me here at the edge of this stage, and what we're going to do is we're going to pray together, we're going to call out to God together, and we're going to watch God begin to work in and through your life, that this becomes the moment that changes everything. If you're ready to see God change everything, this is the step that it takes. So if you're ready from wherever it is that you're standing, when they begin to sing, you meet me here and we watch what only God can do because he wants to change you. So if you're ready, meet me here. George, why don't you lead us?
God bless you guys. Now listen, here's what I know. I know that in a group this size, that there's some folks who are wrestling. In fact, whether you're in this room or you're watching in the lobby or you're watching me in overflow upstairs, that this can be the case with you as well. Is you're saying, you know, I need to be there. And there's something that's kind of holding you back. Let me tell you something, whatever's holding you back is not from God. But here's what I know to be the case, is that all of us have things that we regret, things that we wish were different. Let's not let this thing, when you're driving home, be one more thing to say, I should have been up there. Come on, we're gonna wait for you. God bless you. Don't let this be one more regret. So if you're in this room, then you need to make this decision. This is your moment. Yeah, God bless you. If you're upstairs in overflow, then you better start running and come down the stairs and meet us in here. Yeah, God bless you. Yeah, let's do this. If you're out in, in uh, the lobby, then come on in. We're waiting for you. But this is your moment where God wants to do something in your life to transform your life. And don't let it slip. Don't miss it. You have a group of people. Come on. God bless you. This is your moment. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. The door's opening. Come on in. God bless you. Running down the stairs. Let's do this. Let's do this. Lives are changing, futures are changing, destinies are changing, eternities are changing. Come on, make some room. Let's do this. Let's do this. This is the moment that changes everything. Come on, bro, we're waiting for you. all of that and you're still like well maybe should I shouldn't I this is it man this is it by the way some of you invited a friend to come with you and maybe what your friend needs is just a little encouragement where you turn to them and say hey listen if you want to go up I'll walk up with you but maybe that's what they need so you do that hey if you want to come up I'll come up with you the most important decision that you can make in your life not only because it's going to impact eternity and it does but this is the decision that impacts god bless you my friend this is the decision that impacts every other decision that you make in your life and changes your destiny and changes your eternity it changes your family it changes everything and it changes you it changes you i mean down to your dna it's going to change you so listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm so proud of you guys for taking this step. Yeah, come on. Come on. God bless you. We're waiting for you. Yeah. This is the decision my wife and I made. I was 19. She was 18. And we had a whole life ahead of us. And we just said, um, we heard the gospel and said, listen, Jesus really does change people. And if he does, maybe he could change us too. 
And we look back and um, I had no idea. I had no idea the work that God could do in, in somebody's life until I experienced it myself. And this is why I'm so passionate to tell anybody and everybody who will listen that Jesus changes people. Because my friend, I was lost. I was lost as anybody could be. And I'm telling you that I wasn't looking for God, but I am so grateful that God was looking for me. And God's looking for you today. And those of you that have made this decision, let me tell you something, God's been looking for you. And he's gotten you to this moment. And that he's wanted to do this incredible work in your life. And it starts right now. Church, let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you so much. I want to thank you for every person that's taken a step in your direction. And that you want to do, God, you want to do what is seemingly impossible. You want to transform and change a human life. And we thank you for that. And we thank you for every person that's here. And we pray that as they call out to you, that you would hear them answer and that you would do that work that you promised to do. That you would change them. And that this Easter really would be the moment that changes everything. Those of you that have come forward, I want to invite you to repeat this prayer with me. They might be my words, but I pray that they express your heart to God in this moment. We're all going to pray it out loud. Say, dear God, I come to you today and I'm sorry for all I've done wrong but I thank you for Jesus who died for me that I might have life. I want to walk with you starting right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.